This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Covaris, Ranchford Eye Center, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, a show that provides you with up-to-date medical information and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be back with you. Uh, I was away last week with the U.S. ski team, and we were up in Quebec. This was the uh, U.S. ski C team. These are the folks who, so there's an A, B, and C. These are the C folks who will be in the Olympics in four years. And it was a great opportunity. First of all, Quebec was beautiful. Uh, what a great place. I highly recommend it. Folks looking to go on a vacation that's inexpensive, not a big tourist trap, and plenty to do in winter. Um, I highly recommend uh, getting up there. Uh, so today's show, I've been looking forward to this. We're bringing on one of our favorite guests, Dr. Kevin Felice, who is a medical director of the Charles Command Neuromuscular Center at the Hospital for Special Care. And this week they were celebrating their 10th anniversary. And uh, Kevin and I got to chatting a little bit and wanted to bring him on to talk a little bit about muscular dystrophy. In addition to that, in the second half hour, we're going to be joined by Freddie Graves. Mr. Graves is a patient um, who has muscular dystrophy and works and is fairly independent. And I thought it was great to get his perspective on being disabled in the state of Connecticut. So with that, we're going to move along on those topics. One of the things I want to tell people a lot about is we have a new website for UConn Neurosport, and I want to thank the folks at UConn for putting it together. If you go to my Facebook page, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and you can hit on the link. And the reason I'm recommending it is not for all the PR stuff, but we have designed it to be an educational resource for parents, coaches, and athletes. And that's what it is, about the neurologic problems you run into with sports and to give people kind of an inclination on how to avoid injury with sports. So uh, if you get over to that, go to my Facebook page, hit on the link, and you'll see it. There's video. There's a bunch of stuff on there. This day in medicine, March 3rd, 1824, Dr. John Civiali. Uh, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's a French surgeon. He's a French surgeon. But I was impressed by he completed the first, the first lithotripsy of a stone in the bladder in 1824. Now, when we think of lithotripsy, right, this is where you pulverize kidney stones. We think now where we do it with ultrasound, right? There's nothing invasive about it, and you're able to dissolve it. But in 1824, he was the first person to do this. He uh, worked. They first designed a tube to get into the bladder, and then they would drill the stone, and it would come out in small pieces. So it was really, technically, it was the first minimally invasive surgery. You hear that time all the time now. We use that term for minimally invasive surgery using a scope, arthroscopy, uh, laparoscopy, minimally invasive surgery. 1824, Dr. Civiali was doing that, um, and it avoided what was then really a, a dangerous procedure of doing a perineal 
lithotomy. So it was an open procedure to try and get these stones out. And uh, it's really just amazing when you start looking back on the history of medicine. Um, a couple of things. I recently had a situation in the past two weeks where we had a patient in Haiti. Everybody who's a regular listener to the show knows I volunteer and work with Father Rick Frechette at uh, St. Francis, at the uh, St. Luke Hospital in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. We had an emergency this past week where we had a patient with Guillain-Barre syndrome. Guillain-Barre syndrome is where the human body mistakes the nervous system for a virus and essentially starts attacking the peripheral nerves. This young man, age 19, um, became quadriplegic in a very short period of time and faced the possibility of going on a respirator, which we don't have. So you have to understand that this is a life-threatening illness. And we had a neurologist who was down there, uh, went down on that Saturday and said, you know, confirm the diagnosis. And the treatment is a drug called intravenous immune globulin, not a drug you can get in Haiti. And sometimes hard to find here for several reasons, availability and the expense. I was able to, thanks to um, the folks at Bacchus Hospital and Hartford Healthcare, they were able to make it available for us to purchase. And my son-in-law, um, Mike DeRosa, got on a plane. He picked it up, got on a plane, and went down to Haiti. Because you can't just mail it down to Haiti. And you got to hope you can get it through all their customs, which he was able to do. And uh, I'm happy to report within a week, our patient is moving in the right direction, um, literally starting to move his limbs again, has not had to go on a respirator. I tell this story because it's something that we need to value here is we don't realize how fortunate we are in the United States of America and how these treatable conditions in other countries end in death. So again, I want to thank um, the folks at Hartford HealthCare for making the, the medication available at their cost and uh, really just cooperating with us and obviously thanking my son-in-law um, for getting on a plane and flying to Haiti on short notice. Uh, another article that came up in the last week that I want to talk about was foreign accent syndrome. Pretty interesting. Uh, I've had one patient with it. Uh, this is a story of a 45-year-old woman in Arizona who uh, often found that she would go to bed with a severe headache and wake up with a foreign accent. Typically, she would have an Australian or an Irish accent that would last for about two weeks and then go away. But over the course of the past two years, she's had a British accent. And it's interesting because she came under a lot of criticism uh, in the article. She's talking about, you know, everybody thought I was talking like Mary Poppins. She's never been to England, never left the country. Uh, and so the question now that's I have had one patient with that in my in my in my career. And it was someone who had had a traumatic brain injury. And that's where you usually see it is with traumatic brain injury and stroke. Um, this was interesting because it came on with headache, with migraine. And I could see where it happened. But I started digging into it even when I had my patient uh, back uh, probably about 10 years ago. And it was really first described in 1907 by a French neurologist, Pierre Marie. So 
it, it's just interesting from the standpoint that this came on with a migraine, and it's someone who has this totally different accent. My patient um, started talking with a Cajun accent, as if they were from Louisiana, and she had never been to Louisiana. Uh, and right away, everybody thinks the patient's crazy, right? This is ridiculous, but it is not. It is physiologically possible. So if you get to see that article, it was uh, certainly uh, something worth uh, looking into. The last thing I wanted to talk about today is drug costs. Everybody's concerned about drug costs. The cost of medications here in the United States is very high. So two-thirds of the states here are trying to find ways to cut their costs. Because don't forget, they're providing a lot of medication for people on Medicaid, um, for people on any government program. Six states, including Vermont, are looking at purchasing their drugs in Canada. Now, we've all heard about Canadian imported drugs, right? People are trying to do that. People go across the border. It's about 30% less, and it makes a big difference. What's interesting is that as opposed to buying offshore medications that people find on the Internet, medications bought at a pharmacy in Canada have passed the screening of their equivalent of the FDA called Health Canada. So it's not a crazy option to follow. But again, you have to be very careful when doing this. And uh, it's interesting to see if states are going to move along with that. Next up, we're going to be taking a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest for today, Dr. Kevin Felice from the Hospital for Special Care, and Mr. Freddie Graves. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Alice Cooper will be at the Mohegan Sun this week on Thursday. And it's always a tremendous show. I know they had Kid Rock last week. It must be Rock Week. Uh, but uh, if you are in the area, get over to the Mohegan Sun. Uh, today, they start the American Athletic Conference Tournament. And I will be there for the semifinal and final games on Monday and Tuesday. So if you get a chance, uh, come on down and say hello. I want to give you the phone numbers for today's show here at Healthy Rounds at 860 860- Five two two nine eight four two and one eight hundred nine six six nine eight four two. That's nine six six WTIC. My guest has been it has been in the past and is Dr. Kevin Felice. Dr. Felice is a neurologist specializing in neuromuscular diseases, and he is the medical director of the Charles Command Neuromuscular Center at the Hospital for Special Care. And he's here to talk to us a little bit about muscular dystrophy. And and one of my interests comes from an article I published in the Norwich Bulletin about a golfer by the name of Morgan Hoffman. Uh, Mr. Hoffman is a 28-year-old who was diagnosed in November 2016 with humeral muscular dystrophy. And he started having atrophy of his chest muscles, his pectoral muscles, in 2011 and was finally diagnosed in 2016. He continues to compete on the PGA Tour. I mean, he's still in the money, even with muscular dystrophy. So again, this is a pretty amazing situation. And if you ever want to read his story, it's on the Players' Tribune, which is a great website. Or if you want to read my article, go to NorwichBulletin.com. With that, 
Kevin, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Tony. Great to be back. What do you think of that story? After meeting a lot of patients with FSH or fascioscapulohumeral muscular dystrophy, I, I'm not amazed. I mean, I'm not surprised, I should say. Uh, uh, patients can have very, very late onset and focal weakness, but still function at a high level physically. So it, it's an interesting, uh, it, it is another interesting story about muscular dystrophy, that's for sure. Can you talk to us a little bit about muscular dystrophy? Obviously, there's a range of illness we're thinking about. When when people think about muscular dystrophy, they think of Duchenne and they think of Jerry Lewis. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of fill us in on the, the whole backstory here? Yeah, sure. Let me first say that um, muscular g- dystrophies are genetic disorders. Um, we have... Uh, uh, we we understand that there are approximately 30,000 human genes and each one of these genes is in every cell of our body and they provide the recipe, so to speak, and kind of the manufacturing equipment to put us together. It's absolutely amazing. For genetic neuromuscular diseases, there are over 900 gene disorders that have been identified uh, for the muscular dystrophies, Duchenne is the most common. Uh, fascio-scapulohumeral muscular dystrophy, which you mentioned, is another very common muscular dystrophy. But there are over uh, 50 different types of muscular dystrophy of those 900 genetic disorders that I spoke about. And they vary quite a bit in uh, the degree of dysfunction, the age of onset, and even in families that where multiple people are affected, you can see a variability in onset and severity. Um, what uh, and, and the exciting thing, I think, Tony, that's happened and in, in you're aware of is that the FDA last year approved two gene therapy medications for muscular dystrophy. Both are uh, what we call um, antisense oligonucleotides, and they're medications that fool our genetic system into creating missing or skipping over abnormal gene defects. And we've uh, uh, developed and and, uh, are now able to use gene therapy for certain types of Duchenne muscular dystrophy and spinal muscular atrophy. So you're going to see more and more of this in the future where we're looking at uh, targeting gene alter, alter, alterations and defects, trying to fix them and trying to allow patients to be physically stronger. Uh, it's a real exciting era for, for the genetic diseases and muscular dystrophies, Tony. You know, gene therapy is something we've talked about on the show, the treatment of blindness and other illnesses. And obviously the muscular dystrophies are the perfect model because we've been able to identify where the defect is. Um, how effective are the medications, Kevin? I mean, I have not, I don't have experience in using them uh, in my practice. So, what's been your experience? Well, um, the experience is limited to the clinical trials that have been done. But for spinal muscular atrophy, a disorder that is the most common cause of uh, for neuromuscular uh, uh, weakness and uh, uh, mor- morbil- morbidity in uh, babies. Uh, the new medication, um, uh, Spinraza, it's called, has been able to allow these infants to achieve motor, uh, their motor milestones uh, and to uh, 
to to not be so severely affected. I think the medications that we're using right now have a minimal effect, uh, but I think you're going to see that uh, improve over the next uh, few years, uh, and we're hopefully going to develop therapies for some of the common muscular dystrophies like Duchenne, FSH, and myotonic muscular dystrophy in which we can really have a major effect on motor function and improve the physicality uh, uh, for these patients. Kevin, uh, one group of patients that we see a lot here in Connecticut, and I certainly saw in eastern Connecticut, were patients with oculopharyngeal muscular dystrophy. Uh, and uh, it's it's an interesting population, primarily seen in French Canadian patients, um, and many of them emigrated here to work in factories. Have we made any progress uh, with oculopharyngeal dystrophy? Made a lot of progress in the uh, in the understanding of what causes the disease. Uh, we understand that the DNA defect causes an accumulation or aggregation of abnormal proteins within the cell. We're looking at medications to try to uh, help with this, reduce this amount of aggregation, which we think is uh, causing uh, cell dysfunction, and ready to embark in clinical trials for oculopharyngeal muscular dystrophy. So that is another fairly common muscular dystrophy. If you live in the Northeast, because of the French-Canadian background, but very rare outside of uh, Quebec, northern Maine, and the New England area. Kevin, in terms of other treatments, so we've looked at the gene therapy, uh, physical therapy. People always ask about this stuff. Uh, Does acupuncture work? Um, what, What has been, other than direct treatment, been most helpful for your patients with a muscular dystrophy? Well, Tony, direct treatment is still very limited. Uh, what we call disease-modifying agents are still very limited. We, we alluded to that when we talked earlier about uh, some of the new therapies that the FDA has approved. Uh, however, the mainstay f- of treatment for these patients is care in a muscular dystrophy care center. And uh, this is where the Muscular Dystrophy Association is really shined by uh, providing funding and uh, 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 support for over 150 care centers in the United States. In our particular care center at Hospital for Special Care, patients with various neuromuscular diseases from Lou Gehrig's disease to muscular dystrophy to Charcot-Marie Tooth disease visit us you know, every three months, uh, every six months, or annually to meet our entire team of healthcare professionals, including respiratory therapists, physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech and language pathologists, social worker, uh, and uh, dietitian, to try to help them in every way we can, support them in, in any way we can as well. And I'm, I'm so happy you invited Fred Graves here today because he, he's going to give you some insight on, um, you know, what it's like to live with muscular dystrophy in the age where we don't have a cure and, and, uh, and how you go about your daily activities uh, dealing with a disability like this. I'm glad you touched a little bit about the center you have at the Hospital for Special Care, the Charles Command Center. It's 10 years already, Kevin, mm-hmm. um, and and it's grown. It was great uh, being there um, and visiting with you and the folks at the Hospital for Special Care this week. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back. Uh, we have Danny, if he'll hold on. He's on the line with the question for us. And uh, we're going to chat a little bit more about muscular dystrophy, treatments of muscular dystrophy, and we're going to chat with Freddie Graves about living with muscular dystrophy. 
You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and today we are chatting about muscular dystrophy with my guest, Dr. Kevin Felice. And our phone number's here, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. And today, uh, Dr. Felice and his very capable fellow, Dr. Catherine Alessi, actually got asked me to bring on a fellow by the name of Freddie Graves. And Mr. Graves is here in the studio and he suffers from limb girdle muscular dystrophy. And uh, Freddie, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Thank uh, you. It's, it's great to have you. Can can you give our listeners a little synopsis of your story and how the, this all evolved? Sure. Uh, well, it's limb girdle muscular dystrophy type 2A. Um, as Dr. Felice alluded to, it's over. It's a bunch of types of muscular dystrophy, so it's very important to be specific. But um, I was diagnosed when I was 12 years old. Um, I went on a skiing trip with my church, fell, went to a, a doctor. He said, you know, you don't seem as strong as you should be. Push come to shove, I was diagnosed with Becker's muscular dystrophy. Um, fast forward a few more years, I was got the genetic testing, and we found out that I had limb girdle Type 2A. Um, I've walked, I've been wheelchair bound permanently now, oh man, since about 2001. Um, I, you know, I went through the, I went, I always tell Dr. Felice, I'm used to being in a wheelchair. I'm used to having muscular dystrophy at this point in my life. I think the biggest thing is trying to figure out how to, especially having a rare condition and something that people don't, don't encounter or hear about or know about is how do you traverse being an adult advocate for yourself and still make progression through your life and i think that's something that i'm struggling with now um and 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 what dr felice and the team there they helped me deal with um they've helped me become an advocate for myself and you know to push forward uh but that's something that I think is a huge thing that you struggle with, with having um, a condition such as this. Uh, have some of the struggles, I mean, we we know that the disease is a struggle, but now we have the Americans with Disabilities Act. We have things like that. Has, yes. has it become easier to get around? I mean, I remember before we had handicapped sidewalks, right? And then I went to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I did my fellowship and it was a very progressive community, and there were handicapped sidewalks everywhere. Right, right. Um, so, and and we're seeing progress in that. But are there still struggles? Oh yeah, there there's still lots of struggles. I mean, I think that's the issue is that you know with the American Disabilities Act, it's it's great because it gives that general access to those who are living with disabilities, but it, it doesn't touch on the specific issues. So now, when you go to your job and you say, "Hey, that accessible bathroom doesn't fit my wheelchair." They're looking at you like, you know, hey, well, we have an accessible bathroom. What, what's your problem? You know, and it's it's do you have the endurance, the knowledge base and the and the support to push through that and, and articulate for yourself and say, hey, yeah, well, that's a handicapped bathroom, but it's not working for me. And I think that's the struggle we have now. I think that there's general access to a lot of people. But when you start touching on specifics and trying to get people such as myself who are living with disabilities into the work field, 
um, that's when the issues come, I believe. I think we're going to bring uh, Gretchen in. Uh, Ms. Gretchen Knopf called in, and we wanted her to call in, and she's an advocate for disability rights. Gretchen, are you on the phone? I am. Okay, great. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your organization and, and how you interact with folks like uh, like Freddie? Yes. Um, well, thank you very much for having me on the show. Uh, I'm the director of Disability Rights Connecticut. We are the new protection and advocacy system for the state. And um, I wanted to make a comment about the Americans with Disabilities Act uh, after listening to what uh, Freddie was saying. Um, it, under employment, that's the first title of the Americans with Disabilities Act, uh, it actually says that an individual who has a disability, um, as long as the employer has a certain number of uh, employees, is entitled to accommodation. So even though there are general requirements for access, uh, when you build something, when you are an employee, you can ask for things specifically to be done to accommodate your needs in the workplace. So in his example, if there's an accessible bathroom and they say, hey, it's accessible, you as an employee still have the right to go and say, well, this doesn't work for my disability. Because um, like any standard, the Americans with Disabilities Act is sort of built for a minimum, and it's a set of compromises for people who are advocating for people with disabilities and people who um, are not necessarily, they're just looking at, at creating some kind of a standard. So you get a minimum. Right. Um, but the uh, people who uh, talked about, the, who um, passed the ADA, when they were designing it, they said, you know, you need to be able to ask for those accommodations. So um, that is something that, that can be done. So what happens? Um, so somebody asks for an accommodation. Do they mm -hmm. have a time frame that they have to comply, or uh, what's There's the no penalty if frame. they don't comply? There's no time frame for um, for compliance. Um, uh, an employee can ask for an accommodation any time in the life of his or her job, from the point of you know when you apply and have an interview, all the way through any of the benefits that you get as a retiree. Um, when you make that request to your employer, it's supposed to become what they call an interactive process. So you speak with the employer and make that request, and then they're supposed to sit down and try to figure out with you how they're going to make that accommodation happen. Uh, it is based on a reasonableness standard. So uh, if an individual makes a request and the employer feels it's not reasonable, the employer can deny the request. But the employee can take a look and say, well, I really did think this was something reasonable to ask you, so um, that the employee does have the right to file a complaint. There really is no timeline. Uh, we have people who call us uh, in our agency. We, we do information and referral. Uh, we look at safeguarding the civil and human rights of people with disabilities. Uh, the cases that meet our priorities will go through a case review process, and we may provide direct advocacy assistance, and then in some cases we do provide legal representation. But it's all related to uh, disability and um, protecting the civil rights. Um, so when your um, employer sort of will get people to call, and they've made the request to the employer, uh, we'll have a discussion with them and say, did you make this request in writing? We always uh, feel that that's the best case so that you're, um, you have uh, a history of making your request and when it happened. The employer can interact with you if they're making a good faith effort to 
um, meet with you and to make those accommodations, uh, you'd have to take a look at that. But then there are times where employers will stonewall and sort of stall, and then somebody may call us or they may move forward and, and file a complaint, um, which would be done in Connecticut with the Commission on Human Rights and Opportunities. Gretchen, what's the most common complaint you get? In other words, what what's the most common thing in Connecticut that are facing people with disabilities? Well, um, we generally get complaints about housing, discrimination okay. in housing. Uh, we get complaints about employment, and uh, we get a lot of calls about um, education of children with disabilities in the public schools. And then we get generic calls about financial entitlements and how that works um, and some government rights. Uh, the ADA also has, in addition to employment, uh, a title that looks at state and local government services and a title that looks at places of public accommodation, which is where the public is invited in to use the goods and services. So we're talking about restaurants and grocery stores and health offices and hospitals and golf courses and private daycare, private hospital. Sure. Uh, I guess let me get back to housing because that's probably the biggest thing. And, and Freddie, we, we talked about your issue with housing was, you know, an elevator that's out of work. Right. That's not working. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, I mean, I was I've been dealing with the elevator issue for over a year now. Um, it's resolved now, but it, it, it it's it had to go to the point where I had to have a friend videotape the fire department lifting me upstairs after a work shift. I, I work as a emergency dispatcher for the state. And mm-hmm. I get off at 11 in the night, and, and I had to call the fire department to lift me upstairs. And this was an ongoing issue. Um, uh, and, and it got to the point where I had to involve Facebook, the mayor of New Britain, and, you know, and disability services. And, and these are things that should be, you know, I shouldn't even have to deal with it, you know. And it's just, it's just unfortunate that, you know, it, it feels like how you touch, you know, uh, Gretchen touched on, uh, that when you're stonewalled and you're at, you make a request and there's that pushback, you know, mm-hmm. I, my message to other people living with disabilities is to have that endurance and push through because they're banking on you giving up. They're banking on you moving on. And, you know, I've found that I've gotten better results now that I've been my own personal advocate first and foremost and knowing that I belong here just as well as the next. And, and I think that's something that we have to mentally uh, internalize as a person living with a disability because so often uh, issues aren't addressed and they're, they're swept under the rug for so long that things that are problematic and things that should be taken care of by the law aren't even brought to the light. Um, wow. so, the, so the first step is just speaking out, you know. And educating yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gretchen, so for listeners who may need to get in touch, how do they get in touch? How do people get in touch with Disabilities Rights Connecticut? Uh, Disability Rights Connecticut can be reached at 800-842-7303, or our local number is 860-297-4300. Gretchen, thank you for spending some time with us today. I know you have a busy schedule, and uh, thank you for all you do for the disabled. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Thank you.
we're going to we're going to take a short break and then we're going to be back. We still have Danny on the line who wants to talk a little bit about post polio syndrome, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more with uh, Freddie uh, about muscular dystrophy. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back for our final segment of Healthy Rounds, and we're chatting today with Dr. Kevin Felice from the Hospital for Special Care and. Freddie Graves, who is a patient and really has become a patient advocate uh, for uh, people with disabilities. Um, uh, let's bring Danny in. Danny's on the line. He's been patient. And uh, Danny, welcome back. Uh, hi, doctors. How are you? All right. Pretty good. You got a question for him. Felice is on. He's talking about new therapies for MS or other things neurological. I always wonder if there's anything new or on the horizon for post-polio patients. Got anything, Kevin? Well, I, mean, I, I appreciate you calling in again. I, I um, You know, our, our focus today was uh, on muscular dystrophy, genetic disorders, and um, I, I, in, I think as we've spoken before, our goal... Yes, we have. Yeah. I, I think with post-polio, fortunately, it's a disorder that hopefully in the future we're not going to see uh, because of, uh, you know... Uh, the the really I'm going to age out. Yeah, the eradication of polio. Age out. That's a good term for it, Dan. Uh, but I think the mechanism of injury in polio is similar to some other motor neuron diseases, including ALS. And I, I think that eventually therapies that become available, very, very good therapies for motor neuron disease may be applicable. But uh, there's not I, – I don't know of any recent research in – therapies for post-polio, and I appreciate you calling. Okay, well, I Danny. appreciate your your, your uh, comments. Thanks for Thanks for listening, Thanks. Danny. Um, so let's talk about, in the future, what, what are our options? Freddie, you've been working on this a while. So what are the options for people who are kind of locked in here? Okay. okay? Uh, we talked a little bit about social media, okay. right? Because now it gives people a voice Absolutely. Uh, that they didn't have before. Talk to us a little bit about what you've found in your odyssey that will help other listeners who have disabilities. Well, first and foremost, I say the, the, the biggest thing is connect with other people that understand you. Uh, your family loves you. Your friends appreciate you, maybe, you know, but your, you, other people that have what you have know what you're going through. You might meet an older person who's lived a little further than you, who knows how to transfer better or whatever your issue is. Or you might meet someone who who you can, you know, offer just some support to. And that's that understanding is a huge thing because you feel isolated and that and that that isolation makes you feel like that that stifles your advocating for yourself. So first and foremost, you got to know that there's other people that know what you're going through and that support you. So use Facebook. I always tell people use Facebook. I have a rare condition. You know, there aren't many, many people who have what I have. And my outlet is uh, the C3 community on Facebook. Um, I reach out to other people with uh, limb girdle muscular dystrophy type. Can you tell me what the C3 community is? Because um, I'm not that uh, it's adept ca at it. Calpain. I, I, help me, Doc. The, pro I the protein. D the patients with limb girdle muscular dystrophy. Uh, type 2A, which Freddie have, have a deficiency in a protein called calpain 3. Okay. So I, I thought it was something to do with Facebook. Right. 
Okay. Yeah. So, so, it's, it's so the C three can be it's it's about the protein that oh, we're okay. deficient in, and okay. it's kind of like our little tag, you know. And nice. we all we all support each other. I have lots of friends now. Um, eight eight to ten years ago, when Doc, you know, they transferred over to the hospital for special care, I didn't know anyone with my type of muscular dystrophy, and I was, you know, I was down. I didn't have a job, and once I started reaching out, it it helped me. And now I've been with the state police five years now. Um, their struggles being the first person uh, that's an essential worker for the agency uh, in a wheelchair, being wheelchair bound and having a severe disability. But I'm up to the battle. You know, I'm up to the fight. And the thing is, is that I'm glad that I had that foundation in those formative years of reaching out to Dr. Felice and the team and uh, going through the, the, the heartaches that I've gone through and the jobs that I lost that I didn't advocate for myself to know now that I have a child and now that I have a job that I actually value and that I like that I can hold on to it, you know? And I think that's a huge, huge thing is that you find that, find your base, find those people who understand you so that you don't feel isolated and that you don't feel like you should, you don't deserve to be here. Um, and then once you do that, start understanding your condition, you know, do research, you know, because you're going to be your best, like, Advocacy is being your best advocate, knowing your knowing your situation, knowing what's right, knowing what's acceptable, knowing what to expect. So I, I'm big on that, uh, and just uh, sharing, 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 and and not having a chip on your shoulder because a lot of times people do things because they just don't understand. You know, people might drop the door because they don't see you, or because the last guy in the wheelchair had an attitude. So. Take it in stride and educate people. It, that that's amazing, Kevin. Is this is Freddie becoming more typical of our patients with neuromuscular disease? Because I, I see more and more people, at least, going to the internet and and not necessarily always believing what they read on the internet, but at least bringing me questions mm-hmm. uh, and, and being a little little more of an advocate for their problem. Do you see the same thing in your practice? I do. I, I mean, patients are are researching it more. Uh, They're getting on websites like clinicaltrials.gov, which is a very important website for understanding what's going on in the research community in the United States and in the world. And um, I have to tell you that some patients are not, you know, we have a population of patients that do give up, that that do get depressed, that let it get to them. And Freddie's just not one of those people. And uh, and he is a fighter, and uh, I have the greatest respect for him as a person. I've gotten to know him. I've gotten to know Freddie since he was uh, wow. Since I transferred from the uh, children's hospital, right? since he transferred from the children's <laughs> hospital, and wow. he's always been Freddie, uh, an advocate for himself, and just a well-spoken and uh, incredible young person. And I, I have a. I'm glad he was here today. Well, thank you you for everything, actually. So our listeners understand. I mean, Freddie comes with an entourage, okay? So (laughs) this is all being videoed. The last last guy I knew with his own personal videographer was Don King. Oh, yeah. So um, you've replaced Don in the list, and um, they're putting together a video um, to really help educate people about your odyssey and maybe have them identify with it. So that's why we all agreed to do that and participate uh in the video absolutely yeah thank you for that um 
with that, I want to thank you both for spending time with thank us today and, us, and everything you do. Many thanks to our studio producer, Mike Olko, has been on the board. Jeff Chandler's in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Next week on Healthy Rounds, we're going to be talking about migraine headaches with Dr. Tanya Bilchik, um, and she'll be our guest. And we're going to talk to her. We're going to talk to you a little bit about foreign accent syndrome uh, with migraine headaches. I'd like to get her experience. Next up on WTIC is Garden Talk with Len and company now that he has um, two other co-hosts. Please remember to help save lives. You can do that today by becoming an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Go to registerme.org. Also, I want to make a plug for um, the folks at Life Choice. And organ donation on August, on April 28th, they're going to have their big uh, 5K run and fundraiser. And uh, I'm going to be out there running with them. Until next week, please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ratchford Eye Center, Covaris, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC, News Talk 1080, and WTIC.com.